things he won't share with us The darkness in his brain The dungeon master's plan The pleasure and the pain What's better left unknown Keep calling out to me I hear him think out loud To die Only the brave shall come Open to page one My name is Che Webster and this is the Roleplay Rescue Dungeon Master's Diary It's Tuesday morning and I just wanted to record some thoughts that I'd sketched down in my daybook um, I was thinking a lot about um, really making space for, for play um, I feel like it's really important to make space for play, but I also, you know, recognise that play involves people, other people, um, and we need, you know, really to make space for those other people uh, to engage with our play, and then of course it becomes our play, as in us together, those people, and us as individuals collaborating um and for me I, I think there are sort of two axes in terms of making space i think i feel like i need to make space in terms of time put aside so i need to put aside some time in the week for this and i also feel like there's space in terms of creative room as well you know for others to contribute to the play um there's this real wonderful thing between you know what a game master brings from their imagination and what a player brings and of course what a group of player bring in conjunction and connection in relation to a game master creates something else it's a, a kind of a gestalt you know that the the whole becomes greater than the sum of its parts and so I feel like I want to create a regular space for contribution to discussion. Um, the discussion I want to have is about Otherworld Immersion, um, again, what Jason and I spoke about with serious play, what Daniel and I spoke about in, in regards to Otherworld Immersion, his phrase. Um, this idea that I have in mind of, of kind of deep play and, and exploring. And I think what I want to explore is all three... Um, of the points of the triangle really in my head, the, the methodology, the rules and the worlds, you know, how we might play the methods we use and how we might adjudicate the rules that we use and, and the other worlds themselves. Um, so I guess that um, the first step in my mind has been to kind of create a, a weekly two hours that I can, I can, engage with others and so I think what I'm going to do initially is invite the guys on discord to um, if you are a patron you have access to discord the roleplay rescue discord channel and even if you're not um, if you would like to be part of this conversation then you know it is a matter of just asking um, but I'm thinking of going on there a couple of hours in a week maybe on a Wednesday night or a Thursday night and just having what we have been having in recent weeks actually is time to talk and really there just a sort of um yeah a space for discussion going into um 
you know, one of the game's uh, talking spaces there. I'm thinking about sticking in my AirPods and sticking on the mic and actually having a conversation. I think Discord on a weekday evening isn't too bad for, for stability. So if you have any interest in that, please reach out um, because I, I'm going to start that. I think I'm just going to arrive this week and um, use time and talk to the guys again. But I also feel like there are two other blocks of time. There are sort of three blocks of hobby time that I need to create. And um, I need to make space for preparing the sessions that I'm running. So this coming week, I have a game on Saturday night in Hahn. And um, I feel like I do need to set a time side time for that. But I think this prep time it needs to be more bounded for me. There's a temptation for me to like just you know get ready and try and, you know, this leads to me trying to do everything at once, which is a really well tiring and exhausting thing but also an impossible thing and so I think I need to set a bounded time and again a kind of one to two hour slot seems reasonable to me that if I can do that you know so like a maximum of two hours like set an alarm on my phone or something on my watch two hours tops being at that point you've got to stop and really setting limits around it because that will help me focus on what's needed Um, and I think it is that focus on what's needed next in this next session so that's going to be helpful this week, I think. And I think, you know, that could well come on the day of the game. I think in lots of ways that works quite well for me to to do to, to literally deliberately leave it to be just in time. Um, because it forces me to um focus down and and to do that. And then I think making space, the other big block of time is, is, is making space to create the other world. If I'm going to immerse myself in another world, I think there is a time for me, a need for me, you know, to go and imagine that first, um, to create the other world. But I think I think what I'm, I'm looking at here is sort of sketching what I, the term I think I'm, I'm going to use is the boundaries of that world. Um, not trying to fill in the details. I think the details kind of come from two places. I think they come, they emerge from play, um, and that is the most important set of details. Um, but they also emerge from the preparation that we make for a session. Then, in fact, I don't need to create every detail of the world because as I come to a session, we will create what is needed, and obviously, in play, what will emerge is what you know is what we we bring together, and that will put a premium then on you know, coming back full circle in this thought of making space for the people in the game to create and contribute, you know. And um, it also means that as a GM, you, know, you can step back from the, the fear of needing to create everything and you can kind of s- sort of accept that you're going to create what's needed uh, incrementally. And obviously through play, you're going to, what well, that's going to emerge. And I think that's, that's kind of where I'm going at the moment. Um, and I think in terms of boundaries, there's two other things to say. Um, I think I'm thinking about like the physical edges of a world. You know, this kind of for me is like the outline of the map. Um, when I think about my Kovnia, I, I immediately remember the shape of the, the continent, the map. But there was, I don't remember the details. I mean, beyond the sort of maybe the major mountain range and like where the, where the continental shape was and where the oceans were, if you like, I don't remember much else. And I think actually... That has been worrying me, but I actually kind of think that that's fine, you know. Um, and I feel like it's that thing. I, I, I picked this idea up from Old Skull, um, good old Castle Old Skull publications, um, David Kent Kelly. It sort of encourages you to, you know, sketch out your map, um, your big map. Um, he's talking about on um, hex paper and 
you know, all that sort of. And I think that's a good thing, actually. I do think that great. That kind of places some boundaries around the world that you're going to create, and it can be gigantic world. I mean, you can think of that that space, that continental space, as one continent upon a vast world, and it's something that you know. Thinking about the world of Sidri from the fantasy trip has encouraged me as well. That that world is huge. Um, it can contain so much. So you're not you're not bound by you know. You set up a, a continent, but you're not bound by that. You can cross the ocean, go to another continent. You know, I like the idea of there being gates and portals, magical portals between places on the world. So I don't even have to send them across sea if I don't like sea stuff, you know. But just sort of start with a bounded space. And then the second idea of boundaries is the imagined forms in that realm. I think it is sort of idea outlines, you know, kind of sketching the boundaries of what this game is and isn't about. And I think Daniel does this very well. Daniel Jones, when he thinks about the other world, he talks a lot about what it isn't. It's the the philosophers via negativa. The, you know, do we define this something by what it's not? It's actually quite a helpful thing um, and, and, and a place for me to go and, and sketch, you know, um, what, yes, what the other world that I'm wanting to play in is, but also what it isn't. Um, and um, I think that those are great terms by which to sort of begin to make space for play. And so I'm just going to leave that thought. I don't know what you make of it. You know, if you if you have ideas on that, please come and join in. Either call in or drop me an email or or come and join in Discord. You know, I'm going to try and make space for this conversation, and that would be great. So uh, there you go. Game on. It's Thursday morning and just prior to starting work I had a few thoughts I would share about hobby. Last night I had a really fantastic uh, couple of hours really online on Discord having a chat with um, Arlen Walker from Live from Pelham's Wasteland and also with Jason Connolly from Nerds RPG Variety Cast. And for a short time we also had Evil Jeff pop in from Minions and Musings. The conversation was far-reaching really. We were talking and building on the the stuff that um, I'd been discussing with Daniel Jones in the recent interview. Darlan and Jason were both quite interested in that, and there was a number of questions which I think really have Arlen's asked me and, and Daniel through call-ins, and also Jason has, but we got to have a conversation about it, and I kind of shared some of my thoughts and answers with them. So I suppose that kind of maybe spoils future stuff with them. But anyway, um, the important thing was that we had a really good and constructive conversation about other world immersion and how it is, you know, quite possible really to have this in lots of different worlds and lots of different ways, which was quite fascinating and uh, and deep. You know, it was a really important conversation I, I had last night. It was really enjoyable. And thanks to those guys for taking the time to come and talk to me. I really enjoyed it. Having slept on all that and um, allowing things to mull around this morning, um, one of the things that's kind of bubbled up in me is interesting. I, and I think I kind of blame Jason for this because... He is the one who's mentioned Rollmaster to me. But um, I've been quite torn, actually. And uh, when it comes to thinking about the game rules that I'd like to use uh, to attain immersion, I've, I've found myself kind of whirling around various different options. And obviously, the obvious one for me is GURPS. Um, and there's lots of reasons why I should go there. But it's been nagging me about other things. So two games in particular... Um, one set of rules called Mithras, which is a D100 game system created by the design mechanism, was originally a RuneQuest 6th edition. 
um, but was rebranded when they lost license from Chaosium, and is an, a, a phenomenally good game. Um, I I would have rated it as I still do rate it as one of my favourite role playing games of all times, and um, it is interesting to me that I sort of moved away from it because players around me seemed to express that they didn't want that complexity, and um, having kind of settled on GURPS in recent months. I kind of never really kind of went back there, but uh, it's always niggled at me. So that's one. And the other one is Rollmaster. And um, there are two things here. Actually, there are three, but um, one of them isn't really Rollmaster. The third thought is about Against the Dark Master, which is a um, soon-to-be-properly-released-in-print. Um, I suppose a kind of a retro clone slash love letter to Rollmaster. It's sort of taking a lot of things I think from Rollmaster and representing them in a modern way and I'll be honest I have not read it I have browsed through it and thought "Ooh, this could be really exciting and I supported the Kickstarter and I'm really waiting for the book to come the hardback to go I have no idea when it's due uh, I have a feeling it's overdue but you know whatever um, so that's one of the thoughts but actually Rollmaster itself and what I mean here is two things because I own two versions of of Rollmaster, if we don't count the early draft of the Rollmaster Unified playtest, I own Rollmaster, what is called these days Rollmaster Classic, which is Rollmaster Second Edition, which is seen as the sort of, in many circles, the the pinnacle of the 1980s version. But Rollmaster went through a series of iterations. It went through what's called RMSS, and then um, there was the Rollmaster Fantasy Role-Playing Game, which has a red books. And that edition of the game, I also really collected um, some years ago now, probably around about the turn of the century. I, I collected that up. I, everything I could get, I have whatever's, whatever's not in print, I have, in I think, digitally that was available. Um, and I, I, I collected it and I, I read it and I, at the time, really knew that I enjoyed this game. And I think what's nugging me is that these are... Mithras and Rollmaster are games that I, I know have provided for me an experience in the past as a player. So Rollmaster specifically has provided for me the experience of Otherworld Immersion as a player. Goriel Swift, the most memorable character, the only real character from the 80s I can remember in any detail, comes from a game of Rollmaster in the Mines of Moria. And um, that was an immersive experience, a so so rich one for me that I, I feel like I owe it to Rollmaster to go back and look. And that would have obviously been Rollmaster Classic, what is now Rollmaster Classic, Rollmaster um, Second Edition. I'm not sure if we were playing first or second edition, but it would certainly be in that era. For feeling we were we started with essentially the first edition stuff and as it got reissued we we built our collection. I don't have my original books, or at least I don't think I have my original books, um, but I, I have the reprints and um that needs exploring again. But also the RMFRP, um, which I think did a lot of things to refine Rollmaster in, in quite a lot of positive ways, and um, which I don't know quite why I admired, but I did admire. And so, I, I, again, I know where those books are. I found them recently. I know where those books are. And I'm going to go and get them, I think, and have a look because I think what I need to do is read them, have a look through them, explore them, um, to find out what the value is there, because my subconscious is telling me that there is real value. I, I, I kind of, I kind of feel like there are clues that I am missing, and those clues are to be found in those games, um, because there are very, very 
important things that I experienced playing those games. And Mithras more recently, although I went to use the classic fantasy stuff, um, the thing that really sticks out in my mind with that, and I think I can identify more clearly, is actually the character creation part. There's a, There are some really lovely write-ups about different cultural backgrounds that characters can come from, and you kind of you generate your character. Um, so, for example, there's uh, the one that's in mine and one that probably is most related to what I'm trying to do with my Kovnia is, is the primitive background. There's also a barbarian one and a civilized one, I think, and, and I feel that there's a fourth nomadic, I think. Um, anyway, they, they kind of generate there's this wonderful kind of description of the world through their eyes that I feel was really valuable and um, which I found immersive. And I feel also that, that Mythros might be the more flexible game in that it's written with multiple magic systems and different approaches. And maybe it's the thing that I can explore. And maybe it is the game, you know, for me to go back to um, with a D100. I don't know. But I need to go and explore them. And, and that is what I wanted to grab here and, and share with you. So I don't know whether you're all rolling your eyes and thinking, here he goes again. But I am trying to find my way to this other world that I want to play in. Um, and um, just thank you for bearing with me and listening along, you know. Let's see what happens. I figured something out. I figured something out really important uh, last night and into this morning. It's Friday morning, and um, I'm so excited about this because, um, yeah, I, I actually, I've just penned um, a blog which kind of explains this in more depth, I suppose. But um, I just realized something about Makovnia and... Um, it came from reading my role master fantasy role playing um, core rule book. So, um, yeah, that um, I guess I just remembered something from the eighties as well that I, I, I had entirely, uh, not entirely forgotten, but largely forgotten. So, um, role master. So, role master. For those who don't know, is a game that was originally kind of began publication in 1980, I think, uh, with Arms Law, which was a combat supplement, really, for role-playing games, primarily D&D, um, which, you know, introduced the now famous um, critical hit tables and also the damage tables using D100. And through, from 1980 through to 1983, I want to say, uh, Rollmaster was published in bits. You know, there was spell law, and then eventually there was kind of character law. And eventually, by the end of the 83, it was kind of a whole game, certainly, and, and, and even got a box set in its first edition. But I first came into contact with it in 1984. Well, that's not true, actually. My first contact with it was with the first edition because I remember us using Arms Law on its own with D&D. And our actual transition from D&D, which was the game that my GM, Daniel, was running and we played fantasy, to Rollmaster came over a period of time and it was involved with our f- becoming friends later. Um, so I'm talking like by 1987, we became friends with some guys in, when we were in sixth form. Uh, really deeply involved in Rollmaster campaign in Middle Earth. But anyway, I'm getting ahead of myself. So in 84, I got the second edition box set, and I don't know if I still have it. It may well be somewhere buried in the vaults upstairs. I really hope it is, actually. I'd love to find it. But um, basically, I got involved playing Rollmaster from about 84, 85, probably certainly 85 onwards, through till 89 when we left sixth form and when I went to university. And as I said already, we played in Middle Earth. Um, at first we were playing Daniel's D&D campaign um, in sort of his interpretation of Greyhawk, 
I think, and it was never really officially that. It was really his own brew, I think. Um, and and actually, at that point, we were playing a lot of Traveller, we were playing a lot of Star Frontiers, and probably more Star Frontiers than anything else. So, to be honest, it wasn't like it was a consistent thing. But by the time we got to 85, um, and then into 86, we were hanging around at school, the upper end of school now, with, with some other friends, as I mentioned, so of Gavin... Uh, is a name of the GM I remember there was another lad as well who's really into American football whose name goes out of my head right now as I sit here and who introduced me to Metallica um, in the upper ends of our high school and and Slayer I got into some serious heavy metal stuff in that period Um, but by 1987 when we were in sixth form we were definitely playing Middle Earth in Gavin's campaign and um, the 24-hour role play in Moria came just before we went to sixth form. It was sort of tail end of year, what would nowadays be year 11. Um, so, yeah, that, that was all good and cool and exciting. And um, my most visceral memories are of playing uh, with Rollmaster in Middle Earth. We did play Middle Earth role play a little bit. Um, that was a bridging game that I owned. I owned that. Um, none of the other guys did. And I ran a little bit of Middle Earth role play. Um, but actually, we always kind of defaulted back to Rollmaster because that felt more complete. Now, the dirty secret is, of course, that ICE was publishing stuff for Middle Earth, uh, which nobody talks about anymore. Uh, and even I've heard people deny it. But um, essentially, they were producing these these, these really cool books. I've got a couple of them. But I actually, like I said, my GM was another guy's and he owned that stuff. We played a lot in Middle Earth. And what I realized is that that flavor of Middle Earth, because it isn't really the same to play Rollmaster in Middle-earth as to experience Middle-earth through the novels. There is something qualitatively different about that, not least because you know it's a heroic fantasy role-playing game in which you want to be able to fight Balrogs uh, and dragons fly about, whereas, or at least that's the way we played it, um, whereas obviously Tolkien has a, a much more sort of toned-down um, encounter with those kinds of creatures. But anyway... Those images, I guess, are what informed my Kovnia for me, what led to my dreaming of my own world. And and actually last night, looking through this rule book, which I haven't looked at since 1999 when it came out. And of course, bear in mind, I have the Rollmaster Classic, the Rollmaster Second Edition stuff upstairs and reissue. But I decided I would pick the later book because I actually remember that game being, for me, more feeling more complete and, more, and also being more of a toolkit. And... As you know, that's what I look for in games. So I've been looking through it, and I know, my goodness, it just unlocked so many memories, so many thoughts, and so many ideas. And I realised that my coffee... See, I've been labouring under the apprehension that my coffee was some really primal, really primitive place, um, not far up from Neanderthal kind of development. Uh, but I suddenly realised that actually... Um, no, there is a, a dark lord in Markovnia. He was the feature of that dream in 83. And um, also there's just so much that's informed by that particular flavour of, of fantasy, really, that kind of came from my experience with Rollmaster. So anyway, that was the realisation. And I'm wittering, so I'm going to shut up. But uh, yeah, what a realisation to have. Game on. <laughs>